It's All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. We're continuing our new series of interviews, Off the Road, speaking with musicians and artists sharing how they've been touched by the pandemic and the other crises taking place. You can hear everything we've aired so far at hawaiipublicradio.org. And with this feature, that will include the more than 30-minute session speaking with returning guest, guitar pioneer Steve Hackett. Steve worked alongside two music superstars in the same band, both Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins in the group Genesis. A Genesis in My Bed is his new autobiography documenting the experience. Steve, thanks so much for doing this. Great to have you back on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nice to be back. And before we get into the book, let's start with the pandemic. Talk about how all that you've been experiencing has affected you and touched you. Well, we are officially in lockdown, although restrictions are being eased. You can argue that that's not a terribly wise thing because beaches are crammed full of people, but the disease is not going away and there's no cure for it. But I'm personally trying to avoid people. And although I'm not doing shows at the moment, I was booked to do masses of shows this year. I've switched horses and we're doing lots of recordings. So I'm stockpiling things for release. I think in September there'll be a live album from Hammersmith, Selling England by the Pound, Spectral Mornings and At the Edge of Light. As well as that, I'm getting very close to finishing an acoustic stroke orchestral album. Then I'll start getting back to a rock album that I'm making. I'm a couple of tracks into that. So, you know, the factory fires are burning over time um, <laughs> to remain productive in this time where I know a lot of people have given up and said, oh, life will never be the same again. And I think, well, I don't think that's true. I know they're developing a vaccine, certainly in this country, that they hope to have available freely for everybody in October. I can't believe that the world is going to be held to ransom because we don't have the science, the technology or the goodwill. We have to be able to do that and provide it for everybody because we're all affected by everyone else. Where exactly are you? West London. We're about 12 miles outside the centre of London. Okay. It's on the Thames. And you've been in that location since uh, the crisis began? Yeah, that's right. We were touring in the States and individual states were closing down. Theatres were being closed on us. My wife and I got the last flight back from Philadelphia. Wow. It was literally the last flight back. Or we might still be out there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been extraordinary. The dates that you were doing, it sounds like, were blown out and rescheduled for when? We're looking at something like April next year. Okay. There's no official word on the European stuff at the moment. Some places are not as firmly in lockdown as others. So there's a question mark against things. As I say, I hope we get to be part of this thing with the COVID response. We hope that there's going to be a vaccine. It looks very likely from the people that are working with Oxford, the developers of this. We are saying that what normally took six months is now taking six hours. This team is working overnight to make this happen. They seem to be very confident that this is going to going to work. So I've got to remain optimistic because... Um, I'm too young to retire. What can I do? <laughs> With your great energy. I love it. I love it. Well, beyond just the virus, obviously, I don't have to tell you, we've had a couple of major U.S. crises go global, the Black Lives Matter and police reform following the killing of George Floyd. Have any of these things touched you? It's very worrying. The war on, on the press, and I see films of journalists being attacked by police. It's vicious. Now, there is a danger. You know, America is the big inclusive country. It's it's the hope for the world. At the end of the day, multiculturalism is exemplified by the whole of America's history. Now, if suddenly America isn't big enough to be able to contain what's within its borders, it cannot lead the world. Here's me saying that, hey, I just hope that wrongdoers will be punished. 
no one should be in a position of having power without responsibility. You've got to honour the contract. You're there to protect. You're not there to attack. Black lives do matter. It's hugely important that we try and redress that. It's a huge issue, not just there, but in this country too. It's across the board. More and more things are coming to light. In this country, police guys are being sacked almost on a daily basis. This is what's happening. You know? So it's a new broom sweeping clean. Uh, the change is going to come. Martin Luther King was right. You know, having come from an immigrant family myself at the turn of the century, from the 19th century into the 20th century, my mother's side of the family were Jewish immigrants who were allowed into the country, worked like crazy to eke out a living for immigrants everywhere. What I hope doesn't continue is the idea that the shocking statistic that there are 79.5 million people who've been displaced, who are refugees because of war. This is a, a huge statistic that is not a popular one, but we can't have one half of the world in a privileged position and the rest in a prison camp. We cannot do that. I don't want to see pictures of kids who haven't got a pot to you know what in. They have no home and they're just being covered by some tarpaulin if they're lucky. That's not the kind of world we want. Right on. It's powerful. Well, you've done some pretty moving work, too, uh, including touching on the Middle East conflict and lots of other issues throughout your career, which I admire you for. And uh, when you you mentioned a really important thing in there, talking about your mom and Steve Hackett, of course, from Genesis and GTR and so many great solo projects, a Genesis in my bed, talking about mom and dad. Dad, as a multi-instrumentalist, mom's family having generations of harmonica players and other musicians, and I think of your own life, including starting on the harmonica at two. You've looked at this book, that's for sure. Well, that was just something very natural for me. My dad played a number of instruments just for fun. Bugle in the boys' brigade, he could play a bit of clarinet, a little bit of one-finger piano. All importantly, he brought a guitar back from Canada in 1958-59. And that really kicked me off on guitar. But yeah, harmonica was all important. Even now, I think harmonica is a fantastic instrument. We haven't talked about it, and I guess it's a, it's a great lead into it. You were part of Genesis. And in 1970, you had an ad in Melody Maker. There's a great story of the phone call that it leads to. Yeah, well, I had I had an ad. I left school at 16, and then for five years, I was advertising in the back pages of Melody Maker. This magazine, that's how musicians got in touch with each other. I stuck in an ad which said something like, imaginative guitarist, writer, six receptive musicians determined to strive beyond existing stagnant music forms. So I did something very wordy. Peter Gabriel himself calls you. Yeah, that's right. And he said, we've got a band called Genesis. I don't know if you've ever heard of us. And I said, no. I'm full of admiration and respect and love for Pete. He was the guy who got me into Genesis. Without him making the phone call, it never would have happened. The guy bothered to call me up, took a chance on (laughs) on someone who was plainly, you know, a mad professor. Um, (laughs) So I think that because I wasn't easily impressed, that probably got me the gig because I was able to be very honest and say, oh, I think, you know, this could potentially be strong. Not sure about this. And I had no idea that they'd already auditioned 40 guitarists in quick succession. And if I'd have joined that bunch, I doubt whether I would have been the one they would have chosen. You know, I would have gotten lost in the crush. 
You also write in the book that Genesis's first number one hit, I Know What I Like, was actually based on a riff you played with Phil Collins. And before we wrap it up, are there any cool stories relating to Phil you can share? Yeah, I mean, we were the new boys in Genesis at the time, and he was a hit with the ladies. He was a real ladies' man. That was extraordinary because I'd really given up girlfriends in order to concentrate solely on music. He'd already had the experience of being on stage as the Artful Dodger in Lionel Bart's Oliver. He'd already performed on stage as singer, dancer, actor. He'd been in films, but he wanted to give all of that up just to play drums. And other people wouldn't let him because they knew that he had a great voice. So, yeah, we were very close in the early days and we shared many an evening hanging out together and going to see films. Um, He took me to see uh, Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. Wow. And I said, now, why are we going to see this movie in the afternoon? He said, well, actually, I was up for the part of Romeo with my then girlfriend. So this film always held a special significance for me. Now, if he'd have become that Shakespearean actor right then and there, perhaps the world of rock would have seen a, a very different <laughs> development. And perhaps Phil's Cockney vowels would have taken another turn and it would have been harder. You know, uh, it would have been different. So Shakespeare was not to be, you know, Shakespeare's failure as rock and roll success. It's been a lot of fun talking with you, the great Steve Hackett. And uh, A Genesis in My Bed is his new autobiography. And hope that your tour, fingers crossed, in April of next year, will be able to get rolling. And hope you had fun today. We do appreciate it, my brother. Had lots of fun doing it. Thank you so much, Dave. Nice talking to you. Give my love to Hawaii. There's always been an envelope. 